Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn, and today more than ever before, companies, brands, and their partners need to stand for something beyond the bottom line. I've created this program to provide insights and ideas to share with you so that you can apply them to your work the very next day. The goal here is to up-level your purpose and to benefit companies and society. So please join us. What happens if you're the leader of a not-for-profit for a cause that's really hard? Grief. Grief in children. In our country this year, over 5.3 million children will experience the loss of a parent, a sibling, a caregiver, somebody truly that was a primary role in their lives. Experience Camps is the only national network of 10 no-cost, week-long, overnight summer camps and year-round programs for children ages 9 and up who have experienced the death of a parent, a sibling, or primary caregiver. They serve a cross-section of children representative of their communities by race, gender, and socioeconomic status. They equip kids with the coping skills, community, and transformative experiences that can change their lives forever. Experience Camps is also working diligently to help create a culture in our society where no child grieves alone. As a mom of a 13-year-old camper said, Experience Camps is a beacon of light, guiding children back to safer waters. Where there was once despair, there is now hope. Yet they've lost their loved one, but they have gained a family, a new band of brothers and sisters. This new family matters as kids learn from each other and connect differently with their grief at each new developmental milestone. Because of this new family and because they are allowed to just share what is deep in their hearts, That's one reason why 85% of the campers return every year to experience camps. So join me in my conversation with Sarah Duran, and I trust that you will be amazed at her insights, her resolve, her resilience, and I trust this is going to give you ideas for your not-for-profit, for your volunteerism, perhaps for potentially becoming a partner with experience camps. So let's go to camp. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hello, Carol. Thank you for having me on your show. It's my pleasure. Now, everybody's thinking the name Experience Camps. 
well, I remember as a child, I went to camp. And I loved going to camp. And I remember the rainy, you know, the rain on the roof. And we're playing, dare I say, I'm going to really date myself, jacks on the floor. And we're doing all sorts of swimming fun things and canoeing. And also then I used to go to riding camp because I liked horses. And so I would go to riding camp, not fall off too much, um, and just have the best time. But experience camps is different. And so I want to start because Experience Camps deals with an issue of grief in children. And for our listeners, there's over 5.2 million children across the country who are dealing with the death of a loved one, a parent, a primary caregiver, a brother or a sister. This is not a small issue. And you can imagine when you lose someone that you love so dearly and has been your primary caretaker when you're so young, how that could just cut off someone's entire lifetime and their potential. And so, Sarah, I am thrilled to have you on the show. And I just want to start out with who is Sarah Duren and what is your purpose? And then how did you come up with the idea for experience camps? Sure. Those are some weighty questions. Um, I'll actually start with the how I came up with experience camps and the concept, because I think that's going to speak to who is Sarah Darren. Um, my story is probably not what most people expect when they hear that I started and run in an organization for grieving children, because I was not, I am not a grieving child. My parents are both alive and well, and I have siblings who are alive and well. Um, so this didn't start out of my own grief. And I think that's somewhat unique in in the nonprofit space, as well as a very specific cause such as this one for a founder not to be directly affiliated with the cause, um, at least in the beginning. Uh, What really drove me to start this organization was I married into summer camp. Mm. Um, My husband is and was a camp owner and director. I met him. We got married. um, Our lives merged. And I was in a very different place in financial services, uh, building trading technology, of all things. And I will say pretty definitively, that was not my purpose. (laughs) It wasn't (laughs) necessarily what drove me, though. It was a great job and I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, But I pretty quickly found out when I got involved in summer camp. And by the way, Carol, your, your stories about summer camp as a child I also didn't have those stories. I never went to summer camp. Oh, you mi- oh, so you missed. Okay. <laughs> I missed out on <laughs> yeah. it. So all of a sudden I find myself, you know, in my 20s and 30s um, for the first time really experiencing what summer camp was about as an adult and seeing it from the outside looking in in a lot of ways and was really moved by how much good stuff was there in the summer camp foundation, right? You have this amazing community building, character building, value system, fun and play and joy and all of these things that you would see at summer camp anywhere you go. And it really was something that struck me as one of those life-changing things that kids experience. But what was also really interesting, at least with our camp, and I think many summer camps, many private summer camps in the country, uh, most kids that go are kids who can afford to go. Hmm. And at that time, uh, you know, I was, again, merging my life into his and becoming part of the summer camp world and decided that it was time to make a change uh, and and really kind of turn my attention to summer camp. But, But I wanted to carve out my own piece of it. So we decided at that time to start a foundation. And it was initially going to be for kids who otherwise wouldn't be able to go to summer camp. It was very broad. 
And we just wanted to be able to take this, this character building transformative experience and give it to kids who, who wouldn't otherwise get to go to a camp like the one we have. Um, around the same time that was happening, a girls program reached out to us also in Maine, which is where our camp is. And they said, hey, we've, we've been running this bereavement camp for girls. We're looking for a brother program. Our camp happens to be an all boys camp. Um, is this something you would do? And at that time, I think I, I realized, and I have continued to realize this, again, I was not somebody who was grieving then. And when I heard about the fact that this kind of camp exists, which was the first time I'd known of this, it was immediately obvious to me why it needed to exist. But not until then, right? It's not something you necessarily think about unless you are a person who's grieving or have grieving children or know somebody very closely who is you don't really think about, oh, there should be a summer camp for grieving kids. But as soon as this idea came up, and I, I will also admit, I just had a baby around this time too. So I was a new mom. And I think the other part of it is when you're a new mom and, and a mom in general or a parent, there, there's this new sense of responsibility around your own life, that person's life, the, the, the lives of the people um, that support that child, right? So like all of these things kind of merge together to be a big resounding, yes, we're going to do this. And we opened it for the first time in 2009 um, with 27 boys. Most of them were the brothers of that other camp that had reached out to us. And that was really, um, that's how we got started. And everything after that was, I would say, a building block to everything it has become. And a confirmation every step of the way that this is my purpose. Um, every story I've heard, every everything I've witnessed of grieving children, everything they've told us about what they need and who they are has become a part of my purpose. And that has um, evolved considerably since 2009. Uh, but the purpose really has not. It, it has been firm since I first uh, stepped foot onto the first experience camps camp in 2009. Isn't that a fascinating journey? that, you know, you married into it, you weren't doing it, there was kind of some serendipity that happened. And all of a sudden, it seems like it was love at first sight. When you when you found this other camp, and they came to you, which is tremendous. Do you have any insights into our listeners who still haven't found their purpose? That are there just one or two insights you can say, you'll find it, but here's what you might want to be open to. I think you have to be open to everything. You have to be open to finding it. I mean, I was I was nudged along, I will admit, back, you know, back when we made this choice. It was 2008 actually when I left the financial services industry, but I was I was nudged out by the financial crisis that helped me make that decision and found myself with an opening to to fill that space, right? So that was part of my decision making. I mean, it, it was an easy decision at the time because again, so very pregnant and had to figure out how to merge my life with my with my husband's camp world. Um, so it was a more natural progression, but I had to be open to leaving the corporate world, leaving what is was at that time, this was now 15, 15 years ago, I made more then than I do now. So like there was a whole level of comfort I had to be willing to give up um, and, and some risks to take in terms of, would this be my thing? So totally, again, I wasn't, I didn't know camp. Just because I'd married into it, I was not a camp expert. So I was really taking a huge leap of faith, um, but was willing to do that. And I think there, it's 
I would say to, to, to your listeners who are thinking about this, like look for the signals and then follow them. That's a great point. Look for the signals and follow them. So now let's turn to the first year. So what was the first year like? You didn't know how to do camp. So can you give us, you know, one or two memories of what was it like that first year? Uh, I can give you so many. I remember so much about that first year. It's it's really been burned into my mind. And you're right. Yes, I didn't know how to know how to do camp. Um, but that what I knew then and what I still know now, which was what has led to the growth we've had, is that the most important thing I can do is bring the right people into the mix. Mm. Um, so I brought in people that know camp and know grief. And those were the people that really were um, incredibly foundational to how we built this program. But those those were the, the people that were around me that really um, allowed us to develop this as something that looks very similar now as it did then in terms of the the, the model that we've developed. It, it was um, very similar back in 2009. But so that first year, again, 27 boys. At that time, the first year, all of those boys had had a parent that died. We've since expanded to parent, sibling, primary caregiver, anybody's parent or sibling like. Um, but the first year, it was all all parents. I can remember the first two kids that arrived at camp. You know, now we have these charter buses that go and get the kids from all over the country. And, and you know, we're much bigger. At that time, we had a van. Remember, it was a white van that drove down to New Hampshire and picked up the first two kids and brought them back and they hopped out and they're playing Frisbee. And we're, I, I mean, I remember that as like the starting point of everything. Um, Keith and Logan, they're actually still counselors now with us. Logan has, uh, has, has aged out of counseling, but, but Keith still comes back every single year. And there were so many moments throughout that week, everything from the first sharing circle that we did. Uh, that, so the sharing circle is our first kind of clinical moment at camp where the kids are brought into a bunk um, with a, a licensed clinician who's there to facilitate the conversation. And they just have the opportunity to tell their story. Um, we invite them to bring a picture of their person who died. They can pass that around. They can say nothing if they want to. And the mix is that kids are able to say their stories, say their person's name, express themselves, talk about their feelings, or the other side of it, or I should say, and the other side of it is they're hearing other kids do the same. And a big part of what we do is just bring people together who get it, where they can just be with each other in a way that requires, in some cases, no words, right? They just know that they're surrounded by other people who've been through something similar. And that's incredibly powerful for the overall experience. But then we obviously lay layer in a lot of other things. But I remember that first sharing circle. And I remember something that I think was really important to how we developed the program since then, which was towards the end of the week, the kids came back to us and said, you know how we did that sharing circle in the beginning of the week? Well, we didn't really know each other that well then. We want to do it again. Oh. We want an opportunity to tell our stories again, because now we're brothers. Mm. Now we are best friends because we've known each other for a whole four days. Something really, you know, it had, it had transpired in that way. But I bring that up because we made a decision in that moment to have two sharing circles. And ever since then, we've had two sharing circles every single week. So the kids have really, every step of the way, informed us about what they need and how we should shape this program. And we've listened and we've modified and we've made those changes to make sure we're serving them or, or providing them the opportunities that they want and need. Um, the other thing that stands out to me from that first year was at the end of the week, and, and again, ever since then, every single week, every single year we do this, the final night we do a final campfire. It is a very 
important moment in the week. It's one that's quieter after a very like loud, rambunctious, playful, exciting, and awesome week. It's the time that we slow down, we get quiet, we light candles, um, we go into sort of this, this dark sort of amphitheater out in the woods. And every kid had an opportunity to stand up, share their story, light a candle for their person. And there was a volunteer that year who still also with us, um, who got up and read a letter that he had written to his mom who had died. And it was another one of those moments that it stands out to me for a few reasons. One is that it was incredibly emotional. Um, I still like, I literally can't talk about that letter without getting a little teared up. But what happened after he read the letter was that the entire camp, I mean, every kid, every volunteer swarmed this person in this giant, you know, group hug embrace. There was all of this support and emotion and rawness and just, and and it's boys, right? So it's something you don't expect to see every day from a group of boys. Um, And it was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful and it was emotional. The next thing that happened after that was I turned to Jenny, who is my clinical director sitting next to me. And I was like, oh my God, what have we done? We broke them. Everybody's sobbing. It's the last night of camp. What are we going to do? We, we ruined this whole thing by like creating this moment of such emotional depth and rawness. We got everybody going to get back to the bunk. We gotta, we're going to process with the kids. We're going to turn this all around. We're in a, in a panic about it. So we send everybody back at the end of the night back to their bunks. We go back in to make sure, you know, to kind of get everybody settled and back in their right minds and, and their ways. And these kids are laughing. They're whipping towels around. They're, you know, it was, it was like nothing had ever happened. And it was such an important moment for me and all of us to realize like these kids need that. They need that release. They need permission to be Every, every ounce of their emotions, whether the emotion is joy and laughter or sadness and sobbing, that we're making space for all of it. And from that point forward, that's what we've continued to do is we make space for all of it. We, we meet them where they are and we give them permission to be whatever they need to be in that moment. That, that's that's an incredible story. And, and it's just so wise of you to listen to your constituents you know, the children and to learn from that. So let's take a step back because our listeners are going to say, wow, that's amazing. It's profound. It's so emotional. But how big of an issue is childhood grief and loss? So can you just educate us a bit about what it is, how large it is, and even some of the surprises that you learned about when you really started diving deeply into this. Well, you, you had mentioned the number 5.2 million at the beginning of this. It is actually now closer to 5.3 million, um, thanks to COVID and, and a number of other things. Um, so that's 5.3 million grieving children in the United States, somebody grieving the death of a close family member, parent, sibling, caregiver. Um, what is interesting about that number is that A, it's huge. I think it's bigger than most people think about or realize. What's also interesting is that most grieving children will tell you that they feel alone. So how can you have that many people and yet so many people that feel alone in their grief? And what's happening is that, and what has always happened in our society is that people aren't great about talking about grief. It makes them uncomfortable. They lean away from it. And for kids, when you put them in a situation where you can't talk to them and they can't talk about the thing that is going on in their life and is 
change their life, change the trajectory of their life, and they feel isolated, bad things can happen. There's from isolation comes bad decisions, it comes poor academics, it comes higher rates of suicide and drug use, and all of the things that come along with, you know, these these conditions, these experiences that kids have when they are not supported in their grief or in, in any life experience that they're having, which can be detrimental, but particularly for grief, because it's one of those things that it comes with a bit of a stigma or a discomfort in the ways that adults talk to them and certainly the way kids talk to each other. Because um, they don't, you know, people just basically misunderstand what grieving people need. Um, they think maybe if I don't say anything, then they won't feel sad about it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to bring up the person's name because I don't want to remind them that they died. Well, every grieving person will tell you, we're already thinking about them. It's okay to say their name. So there's a lot that is misunderstood about grief. And because of that misunderstanding, you know, it, it, again, it creates that sense of isolation, which leads to all these negative consequences. Of the consequences, a week at camp is going to just address these? I, I know that, you, that you've got campers that come back again and again, and you've got counselors and such. But um, so talk about the trajectory of what's happening at camp. And you also have a lot of therapists and you also have amazing volunteers. And so just, you know, give our listeners a sense of, I know you talked about the boys the first year, but you've matured a lot now. I mean, it's been uh, 12 or 13 years and, and you've got what, 10 camps across the country. So just talk a little bit about the experience that we're going to talk about your growth. So and we say it's it's the week that lasts all year, right? So kids come to camp for one very intensive week, where, as I mentioned before, they leave that week saying, that is my brother, that is my sister. They are connected in these, in these bonds that are unique and unlike any other bonds that they have typically in their lives. What it does is it gives them a sense of connection and an understanding that even after they leave camp, there is this whole community of people out there connected to them. Even if they don't see them every day, even if they don't talk to them every day, and a lot of them do stay in touch, they'll stay in touch with their bunkmates and, you know, thankful for social media for those reasons, right? It keeps people connected. Um, But it does give them this, this foundation, this sort of injection of the understanding or the idea that they're not alone. And going back to what I said before, that isolation is what causes so much of the, the problem or the outcomes that we don't want to happen. The connection gives us the outcomes that we do want to happen. Because when grieving children are supported, when they do feel connected to other people, when they know other people who get it, there can be this amazing sense of resilience. They can have incredibly positive outcomes in their lives. When you look at some of the data on CEOs who have lost parents, um, the number of people who have gone on to be very successful in their lives, who have lost people incredibly meaningful to them early on, but it's because they had the right level of support or the right factors that came in at the right times, we have to ensure that we can give kids that support so that they can choose the positive path. And so to talk a little bit about your growth, because first it was one camp and it was, it was you know, same sex. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now you've got, um, I hear you have a huge waiting list. We so, do. Yeah. So talk about your, your growth. That is the worst part, I will say. Mm-hmm. You never want to tell a kid they can't come to camp when they want to come to camp. Um, yeah. So we, as I mentioned, we started in 2009. Um, we continued to increase our numbers at that camp, eventually expanding to another and then another. Um, and we've really been following the demand. 
you know, as kids, as more kids have come in, and, and as you mentioned, a lot of kids do come back every year. Our program is based on the continuation of support. So about 85 to 90% of our kids every single year return. So in order for us to grow and to add more kids, we have to keep adding more beds. We have to keep adding more camps to ensure that we can have more kids come. Um, so over time, we've added, as you mentioned, now we're at 10 programs. Each location we're in has a boys side and a boys program and a girls program. Um, we will serve about a thousand kids next summer in 2022. Um, and we're in five different states. So we're in Maine, Michigan, California, Pennsylvania, and Georgia currently serving kids from 35 different states and actually four different countries with our camp, our furthest camper coming from Japan, which tickles me every time that he comes all the way <laughs> just to come to camp. So yes, we've grown considerably. Um, you also mentioned the volunteer base, which has been and you know, probably the most important part of our growth next to the kids is ensuring that we have the most amazing humans uh, to support these kids and to create the experience of camp for them. And we do, we have, I mean, the most amazing humans in the entire world come into this organization and stay and keep coming back. Um, and, a, and a big part of the experience for the kids is really the experience that the volunteers are having as well, because it's as meaningful to them. You know, many of them, about 70% of our volunteers have also experienced a death loss. So they get it. And then there's the 30% who haven't, and they're showing up in a way that we want the whole world to show up for grieving kids. They're modeling for the kids that I don't need to be part of this club to be here for you. So there's benefit to both experiences being present for the kids at camp. For the ones that haven't lost someone close to them, the 30%, mm -hmm. how, do you, how do they get to you? Is it word of mouth? Is it a friend? And then they must get instantly hooked. I think it's mostly, and not I think, it is mostly word of mouth. Um, and we actually now are seeing a, a big uptick in the applications we're getting from, you know, social media, people that are just seeing it either in an article or online or Googling, you know, volunteer opportunities. And when you see this, I think it's very clear to see how you can make a really direct impact on a child's life in a really deep and meaningful way. And the volunteers that come to us are not the ones who necessarily just want to like log their volunteer hours, right? Like by doing, which, you know, nothing wrong with that. People right. are logging a lot of volunteer hours doing different community service types of projects. This is one though, where you come in with your whole heart. I mean, you are committing to sleeping on a bunk bed for a week and eating camp food, which is actually pretty good, um, <laughs> getting dirty and and like losing your voice because you're cheering so loud. You know, these are these That's are great. people who come and just want to give it their all. Um, I think a lot of the 30% and the 70%, honestly, they hear about it a lot of times from their friends that have done that. And to hear a volunteer describe their love of camp, it's hard not to volunteer for a week of camp because it it sounds like, because it is, the most amazing experience. And I think anybody that hears their friend talking about this and being like, I just came from summer camp when they're, you know, 25 and 30 years old and in the corporate world now doing things that are very not summer camp, um, it's enticing. And it, it just, you know, it pulls you in and there's this incredible amount of energy and enthusiasm um, coming from that group of people that, that I think, you know, snowballs into more people. Let's take a break and talk about the numbers.
As our listeners know, we always do a portion of our segment, which is called By the Numbers. So experience camps a little bit different, but their numbers are equally as large as a corporation. They offer 10 summer camp programs that are a week long in California, Georgia, Maine, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, serving grieving children from 32 states and four countries. The ages served ages 9 to 17 and also young adult programs for the four years after high school. Their demographics, 36% of participating children are black or brown. 65% of participating children come from families below the national median household income. Children who get to go to camp do it at no expense. To date, over the years, the program hours put in by counselors, volunteers, as well as their paid staff total over a half a million total program hours 24-7 with grieving kids. They've had a 23% increase in applications in 2020, which rolled over for 2021 because of COVID, and a 500% increase in the waiting list over the past five years. A 500% increase in the waiting list. Volunteers, they have on average about 500 a year. And what's the impact? 90% of participants report higher self-esteem and less loneliness. 85% return to the camp every year, and 83% of experienced camps' parents and caregivers say their child has used grief skills to deal with the pandemic. Before the pandemic, one in five U.S. children would face the death of someone they consider significant in their lives, someone they love. For 5.3 million of those kids, That means experiencing the death of a parent or a sibling or a close caregiver before learning to drive or graduating high school. And sometimes it means facing death before facing first grade. Even under the best circumstances, grief is lonely. Without support, childhood grief too often leads to mental health struggles and academic decline. Grieving children are at greater risk of teenage pregnancy, academic decline, or dropping out of school, misusing drugs and alcohol, and engaging in illegal activities. The loss of a loved one can mean the loss of family income, the loss of a home, a negative life trajectory. In fact, children whose parents die are themselves 50% likely to die in early adulthood. Let me say that again. In fact, children whose parents die are themselves 50% more likely to die in early adulthood. A child who loses a parent to suicide is three times more likely to die by suicide. Grief is more than a personal tragedy. It is a significant public health issue, one that has been overlooked and under-resourced for decades. But now, a visionary CEO, Sarah Darren, founder and CEO of Experience Camps, is applying her incredible will and smarts to this tough issue to help children have a more positive and brighter future. 
So let's talk a little bit about the subject matter outside of camp, outside of your core constituency, because grief is, to your point, something that we just don't really talk about as a society. And so I know that um, you want to give this tremendous experience with the camp experience, but I also know that you are broadening the topic. And so one for our Listeners who are not-for-profits or people who want to go to not-for-profits that have a hard subject, how do you deal with the hard subject? And then uh, that's the first question. And the second question is, I want to know what you're doing to expand awareness and education about grief and embracing grief. So I, I, they're actually, in some ways, the same question, um, or maybe the same answer to those two questions. Our hard, getting comfortable with the hard subject of grief is what we want to do. Right? We're, we're trying to break down those walls of isolation for grieving children and grieving people in general by talking about it, by getting more comfortable with the language of grief, by getting more comfortable with being uncomfortable in the subject of grief. Um, so in terms of addressing the hard topics, we are really seeking to normalize the language, the feelings, what we call sitting in the muck. Right, When you meet somebody who is grieving, the best thing you can do is just sit in the muck with them, allow them to feel the feelings, the hard feelings and making space for all of the, the heaviness that goes with that. A lot of people lean away from that heaviness because it's uncomfortable, right? The best thing you can do in most cases is to lean towards that and just sit in it with them. So we're trying to teach people the language, the, the things to say, the things to not say in some cases, um, to get people more comfortable with sitting in the muck and to make space to do that. The broader concept of what we are trying to achieve is to create a world and a society where people can sit in the muck. Um, we want to create an ecosystem of grief support around specifically children in our, in our mission, but really in all grieving for all grieving people so that there is a world around them that looks a lot like camp right? Like experience camps where people come there, people get it, people are making space and having the conversations where you might be walking down the street and a child feels comfortable enough to say, hey, did you know my dad died? Did anyone die for you? You know, like just to yeah. be able to say those words and to, to feel comfortable. Do you think that kid would ever say that walking down the hallway at school? Probably not. <laughs> you know, and maybe that's a stretch for the, for the broader world, but getting a little bit closer to a place where those conversations can happen. Um, so we want to create that ecosystem by educating people about grief, about the experience of grieving people. Um, we want to do some education so that people understand what a big issue this is, that there are 5.3 million grieving children, and that if we don't address that, if we don't support them, there's a lot of negative consequences to that, both on those individuals themselves, but also more broadly on financial, economic, and, and mental health systems in our country, because that's a huge number. And each of those individuals has a huge network around them of people that will be impacted by any bad choices they are making. So really bringing some attention to what a huge issue this is, should we not address it? And you've actually labeled this as something called TAG, 
which is ta- which is talking about grief. Yes. And so um, as we are rolling into the holiday season, are you doing more with TAG, um, especially as people really feel the emptiness with, with those who have passed? Yes, absolutely. So November is Children's Grief Awareness Month. And in honor of that month, we've launched a campaign, as you mentioned, called TAG, Talk About Grief, where we're really putting out information and encouraging others to put out the same type of information, record videos, share their stories about things that the, the right ways to show up for people. Um, we one of the one of the um, campaign lines is talking about how you go beyond "I'm sorry," right? So a lot of kids will say, "I don't like when people say I'm sorry for your loss. It feels empty. It doesn't mean anything. Why are you sorry? You didn't do anything." And yet, even me, like I've been doing this a long time. My first words when I hear about something are like, I'm, oh, I got to pull that back in. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I really want to. You know, we need to give people more language, but an understanding of why, why we want them to use different language, why grieving people want them to use different language. Um, So again, teaching people more what they need to know, more what grieving people want them to know, and encouraging them to share stories and ask about people's stories when they meet somebody who is grieving, whether it was a month ago that someone died or a decade ago that someone died. Mm. And what kind of language? Share with us some of the language so that we can get smarter about it. Um, I'm here for you. That's always a good one. This sucks. <laughs> you know, okay. for somebody who's right. a friend who right. you could say that to. Um, you know, just again, letting them know that I'm I'm here in this with you. I don't, you could even say, I don't have the words. There are no words. I'm Mm. here for you. Mm. Um, Just being honest and direct, the things you don't want to say, that's a little bit of an easier list. Never start a sentence with at least. Oh, gosh. At least you had that extra time with Mm. them. At least he's no longer in pain. No, no, at least put that one away. Okay. Um, (laughs) We actually do an activity at camp with the kids sometimes called stupid things that people say. (laughs) Okay. And they're always well-intentioned. No, nobody's going into these conversations to be mean, but they often are received in a way that, that can be hurtful, um, unintentionally hurtful. So we're trying to bring some, so more awareness around the, the intention. And certainly during the pandemic, um, there was just a tremendous amount of loss. And then there was a disproportionate amount of loss with children, with parents of color. And um, how are you addressing that specifically at Experience Camps? Yeah, and that's, that is a huge problem. And it has definitely been brought to light uh, through COVID and some of the data that's been shared uh, over the last year in the media, uh, which is great that they're now, you know, starting to share some of that data, because I think a lot of people are completely unaware of the disproportionate amount of grief that is experienced by people of color. Um, For instance, before turning 30, Black Americans are three times more likely than white Americans to experience the death of multiple family members three times more likely. In fact, JAMA Pediatrics also found that even though Black children only make up 14% of U.S. children, 20% of those experiencing the death of a parent to COVID are Black. So it's really, it's not widely understood, um, and it's definitely not being addressed adequately. Part of that is because of accessibility. Part of that is distrust of mental health and, and medical systems by many of the BIPOC communities. So what we're trying to do, again, is bring awareness to that. It's one of our 
our focus areas in terms of sharing what we know and what we've seen and what we're hearing from people. Um, and we're also really making an extra effort to create more accessibility and equity for people of color to come to camp, but also to receive services outside of camp. Part of what we're looking to do, as I mentioned, in building that ecosystem of support, even beyond camp, we call it our Beyond the Bunk programs, is we're looking at how we can build programs that meet kids where they are if they are not going to be kids that come to camp. So camp is, is a huge primary piece for us, and it always will be. But we also know, you know, we have a thousand kids now, maybe we'll get up to the multiples and multiples of thousands, but what about the millions? What about those 5.3 million kids? So what we're looking to do now is expand our programming to be highly scalable in ways that meet kids where they are, particularly our black and brown kids who either haven't found their way to camp, might not be willing to come to camp, or might be looking for the types of resources that are more local to their communities and how can we meet them there. So Experience Camps is looking to, again, build that awareness, create some education out in the world, and also figure out the best ways to serve all grieving kids, as we believe is our vision, that all grieving children deserve a life rich with possibility. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, talk a little bit about Beyond the Bunk because uh, and what you're doing in terms of making this, a, you know, almost a full year program besides when they're at camp. So our campers specifically, you know, when we go beyond the bunk with our kids, uh, we, we're in touch with them throughout the year. We do kind of light touches to remind them that we're here to keep them connected, reunions and that kind of thing. Beyond the bunk more broadly, though, is, as I mentioned, a, a a more deliberate attempt to create highly scalable programs to meet kids where they are. Um, we want to take the the lessons we've learned from camp, the things we know about grieving children, and sort of amplify that out into the universe in, in different ways. Um, some of the things that we're looking at doing, and, and these are all sort of new in the, the innovation hub right now that we're developing, but starting to gain some traction on these ideas, is using technology to create some of those scalable platforms and ways of reaching kids, but also staying true to who we are as a program model. And one of the things we know about our philosophy and, and our model and what works for kids is that they like to start with play. Play is a really fundamental element to how they process, how they communicate, how their brains develop. And it's obviously a really important part of camp. You know, we have as much tug of war and baseball as we do, um, you know, everything else there. So we're looking to figure out how we can use that foundational element of play in different ways. Well, what's a way that kids are showing up? Gaming. <laughs> right. So this is one of the areas. And, and honestly, there's, there's a lot of social emotional benefit when it is done the right way. And when we're using, you know, a moderated and proven methodology to bring kids together in a community that might be a virtual community. So we're currently exploring some ideas about how we can use gaming and community to replicate a number of the things that we do at camp in the real world. Ah, I can't wait to see what that's going to look like. That's great. Um, you have a, a number of uh, corporations that support you. So if a corporation wants to um, get involved, what kind of guidance do you give to them so that it's going to be authentic? It's not just going to be, it was like a CEO lost maybe a brother or a sister, but it's something genuine to the corporation. I think I can say with assurance that any corporation that is out there has grieving people in it or people with grieving children, even potentially. This is a thing, this, you know, death is something that is universal. So therefore grief is universal. 
you're going to find it everywhere you go in every company. And I would start by saying, I think that grief support should be a, a basic benefit that you get from any corporation that cares about its employees, whether it's through education of, as I mentioned, like when somebody experiences a death in your company, how do you support that coworker? How do you show up for that person? Not just for the first week, but for the first year and maybe even longer. So there's some education aspects that we can offer and support with. And then there's also, again, for these for these good human corporations, which I'm sure all of your listener, listeners are, <laughs> okay. looking at volunteer programs. You know, how do you support your, your employees in finding the things that fill their hearts and fill their souls? Um, we, as I mentioned, we thrive on our awesome volunteers and having corporate, university, other types of groups that can help us provide that pipeline of good humans into our volunteer network is really important. Um, so giving people volunteer time off, helping direct them to these types of opportunities like we have at Experience Camps, um, where they can really fulfill their their deepest desires to um, to really give back in a very meaningful way. I am just curious. Um, this is going to air soon after Giving Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, if this was going to air, what would you want to say to potential donors, um, individual donors per se? Why should they donate to Experience Camps? Well, I would hope people would consider donating to Experience Camps because it is an organization and a cause that has truly a direct impact on children not only on the grieving children that we served at, at camp, um, but in the ways that we're building programs and building awareness to serve all grieving children in some way to create those ecosystems of support. Um, I know everybody has a lot of choices when they go to choose their, their philanthropic um, focus each year as they do. And ours is a place where, again, it, it, it truly transforms, that support truly transforms kids' lives very directly directly and very meaningfully. I've seen it with my own eyes. And I think that is what keeps all of our volunteers coming back. And frankly, a lot of our donors as well, um, who've seen it either through our virtual experiences, through the information that we share, the stories that we share. Um, When you really start to think about what it means to have this opportunity, whether you are somebody who has experienced grief firsthand or not, you want to think that there is a world in which kids who have gone through something as awful as the loss of their mother, their father, their sibling, you want to believe that there is a place where they can go, where they can feel better, where they can feel supported, where they can feel understood. And that is what we need funding to do, frankly. I should mention that our camps are free to all the kids who attend. There's no cost to them at all because of the fundraising and the funding that we get from our donors. we bus them to camp, we bring them in, we give them lots of goodies and t-shirts and, and s'mores and ice cream and all of those things that bring joy and allow them to, as I mentioned before, be in whatever space they need to be in. Um, but that's all made possible by the people who support this organization. So I'll put you on the spot, but in a good way. Um, and you don't have to name names, but name categories. So what categories of corporate supporters do you wish would get involved with you? I would say any cabin, any corporate supporter who has a big heart, cares about kids, cares about mental health, organizations or companies that support the things that their employees experience or care about. I think those are the top ones for me. 
That's great. No, that's that's really good. So you're doing wonderful things with Experience Cancer, but they're also the stories are sad. And so what keeps you going? I mean, I know that you just love what you're doing, but beyond that, as a leader, what's motivating you during the hard times? Like choked up just saying this. Um, we have, there's this one song we always play at camp and it's, um, I don't know why, I don't know how this ended up being this song, but it's Shower by Becky G. And it's this very upbeat dance party song. And it's the song that we play always the last day of camp when the kids are getting ready to depart camp. They just had this really meaningful, sometimes really sad and heavy, sometimes joyful and light week of camp. And everybody's in the dining hall and, you know, the buses are pulling in, kids are getting ready to leave and somebody turns on this song. And it's one of those where like you get low and you get high. And at the end, everybody's jumping up and down. I'm saying this pre-COVID, like in a mosh pit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. We could all yeah. get that close together. Waving their arms around, frantically joyful, loving, and like just in this big group hug and dance party. And every single time I see that, and I, I will like literally stand in the corner crying when I watch this, because it's a reminder to me that in in spite of all of the heaviness and all of the hurt and the pain and the sadness that these kids have gone through, are going through, will go through, that there is this joy. Mm. There is this just this moment that they feel right there where they're wildly waving their arms in the air and feeling all of the happiness and the lightness and the, the joy of life. They're living hard in that moment in the best way. And that is possible. That's possible for every grieving child. It's possible for everybody that's been through something hard to find the other side of that pain in that joyful moment. Um, that's what that moment and the ones like that are the thing that keep me going through all the hard parts because I know that there's joy on the other side. I know there's joy woven throughout their journeys and I want to make sure that they find it, that they can see it and that they can create more of it. You have done amazing work and you've had incredible progress since 2009. Can you leave for our not-for-profit listeners two or three insights that when you're leading a not-for-profit, when you're starting it from scratch, um, it's a little bit of a challenge on the issue. What insights can you share with them so they don't give up, so they have the incredible resolve that you have? Surround yourself with the right people. I think, as I mentioned earlier, when we were talking about that first year when, yeah, I didn't know anything about camp and I didn't know anything about grief, but I brought in the people that did. And every step of the way, I've, I have recognized what I don't know and what I'm not good at. <laughs> um, and I've made, I've made a, a, a path for the people who are good at those things, who can add that unique value to the organization at each stage that we've grown. And that's obviously changed from the time that, you know, we were all volunteers back in 2009, including myself for many years. And from having one camp to now 10 camps, from having 27 kids to having a thousand kids, it's changed a lot. The way that we've all operated has changed, but each step of the way, having the right people has been what has allowed us to move to the next phase. Um, and I'd say the second part of that is not only finding and and bringing in the right people, but then allowing them to do what they do best. So I'd say getting out of their way. 
Sounds like things that you that you learned from Wall Street. Um, <laughs> Probably. There's a lot of Wall Street if, lessons if, I took with me. <laughs> if people are smart. And so, Sarah, this has been an amazing conversation. And I just trust that and hope that any one of our listeners are going to say, oh, my God, this is it. I didn't know about this. Yes, I know about grief, but now I'm going to know more about grief. There's this amazing organization. I want to get involved in some way. And so I hope that that will happen to you. And I also love to give um, my guest the last word. So what haven't I asked or what would you like to close with? Well, first, just wrapping up that last thought, I hope people will want to get involved. Um, and I, going back to what I just said, it's it, it has been the people that have made this organization what it is, whether they were board members, staff members, volunteers, camp directors, donors, all the people that have come into the mix over the over the time um, become part of this community. And it's what makes us go around. It's what makes us um, be able to do what we do. So definitely encourage anybody who would like to get involved in any capacity to reach out. Um, I don't know if you'll be sharing our website, but it's experiencecamps.org. You can find us there. Last word, I think is just, you know, going back to what I hope everybody will do with their new awareness of childhood grief or grief in general is talk about grief, you know, find somebody, you know, and have a meaningful conversation. Um, You will be amazed. I have the most amazing, you know, cocktail party, dinner party conversations when people find out what I do for a living. Um, But I think that can be true of anybody who opens themselves up to have the meaningful conversations about grief. And you will find that the connections come very easily and very authentically when you make space for those conversations, whether it's asking somebody to tell you a story about their person, whether it's saying that person's name, sharing your own story, if you do have one about grief, um, but just being part of creating that world where we normalize conversations about grief and we create a place where nobody has to feel alone in what they're going through. Well, well, thank you, Sarah. Um, This has been an amazing conversation, quite illuminating. And I also, you have so many lessons that you shared, like how you found your own personal purpose and how you stuck with it and how you brought in people that you truly, you know, could do the job and knew things differently from you and you let them do it. And then the, the potential that you've unleashed in all the children over the years so that they can um, not forget the one that they loved, but they could learn to honor and to revere and hold deep into their hearts um, that person. And so um, we're going to put lots of information in our show notes because they have wonderful videos, great videos of the kids being really, really candid about their experience and some great articles. And um, we just I'm just asking my listeners, hey guys, step up, help these guys in some way, volunteer, donate, get your company to take on this issue. It is huge. It's important. And um, it's just been a wonderful conversation. So thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, I loved having you on the show. And to our listeners, please, please, please go to wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a review. We love getting those four and five stars, ideally five, and so that we can get to the top of the list of uh, great business conversations because I always like to end with this question because for any individual or for any organization, I will ask this 
What is the power of your purpose? 